Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Open in your Bibles to Revelation 14. We continue our study there. Back in the book of Matthew, though, Jesus told a story to his people. One of his wonderful parables. It's a story about his kingdom and the way that the kingdom works. His kingdom, he says, is like a a farmer who went out to sow seeds in a field. And he goes out and he sows seeds, some, some kind of wheat or something like this, right? Farmer goes to sleep that night, and while he sleeps, an enemy comes in and sows weeds in and amongst all of the wheat. A few days later, the the crop begins to just peek up from the ground, and it's immediately evident that there are weeds among the wheat. And the the farmhands come to the farmer and they say, what happened here? What's going on? We we sowed good wheat. What would you have us do? Should we go out and, and pick out all the weeds right now? And the farmer says, no, don't, don't do that yet. If you were to pull the weeds right now, it would harm the wheat. So let's let them both grow up together. And then, and then there'll be a day of harvest. And at harvest time, you can go out and gather up all the weeds and put them into bundles and burn them. And then you can gather all the wheat into my barn. So he tells this story to them and many of them sort of looked at him, you know, like, good story. What does that mean? But what he was trying to communicate to them was was something about the world in which they live and the world in which we live. Jesus is that farmer, right? And what he was revealing was some of his mission. He came into the world to sow seed. Not to judge the world, not the first time. He came sowing seed, gospel seed. The church now, in the name of Christ, sows that gospel seed. And what happens is that that some of that seed takes root and begins to grow. These are the people of God that are growing because of good gospel seed planted because of Jesus. But as God's people grow, amongst them grow not God's people. The enemies of God the enemies of his kingdom, those that are in rebellion against God, growing up right next to God's people. This is our life. This story is of our life and our time and our day and age. Christian and non-Christian live side by side. They're roommates in college. They're bumper to bumper on 95 in the mornings. They're neighbors and classmates. This is the world in which we live. His first coming was a time of planting. His second coming will be the time of the harvest. And that's what Revelation 14 talks about this morning, is the harvest day. The day when finally he gathers in the great harvest at the end of time. And he tells us this so that we can understand the world we're living in now and so that we can be prepared and live for that great final day. So, let's read the passage together. It's the end of Revelation chapter 14, the last two paragraphs, beginning in verse 14. 
So follow along in your Bible as I read Revelation 14, 14. This is God's Word. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Lord, we speak of holy and sober things this morning. And we come in with minds distracted, with minds filled with the stuff of life, and perhaps even unaccustomed to thinking of your word. Lord, would you grant us illumination? We can understand your word. Grant us transformation that we be changed by it. Amen. We have before us the great harvest long foretold at the end of the age. We have before us the culminating event of all of world history. The passage comes to us in two paragraphs, and the two paragraphs describe two harvests, two different harvests, two harvests of two peoples. The first paragraph, the first harvest, is the harvest of the righteous. Second paragraph the second harvest. It's the harvest of the wicked. We will take them each in turn. So we'll begin with the first paragraph. And though we just read it, I'd like to read it again so that we can really focus on the details of this first harvest. So verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Passage begins with this vision. It says, behold, that is, look, check this out. There is a a cloud and one seated upon it like the Son of Man. This particular image has been used throughout the Bible to refer to Jesus. All the way back to Daniel, 
Daniel saw one coming in the clouds, one like the Son of Man. And then Jesus, when he was on earth for the first time, do you remember this? He was standing in front of his accusers. The, uh, the, the high priest was actually interrogating him right before the cross. He's like, tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, it is so. And from now on, you will see me sitting at the right hand of the power on high and coming in the clouds of glory. They thought it was blasphemy. It was prophecy. And it's being fulfilled right here. Jesus coming on the cloud of glory to return. He's got a crown on his head as befits a king. We expected that. But then, suddenly, unexpectedly, we see what's in his hand. He's holding a sharp sickle in his hand. An angel comes to him out of the temple. The, the direction of the angel's travel is important. The angel's coming out from the temple, from before the throne of God. He brings a message from the Father to the Son. And he brings the message. The Father says it's time. The hour to reap has come. Put in your sickle for the hour to reap has come. The hour has come. Jesus had said when he was on earth, no man knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. No man knows, no angel knows, not even the Son of Man knows. Only the Father knows the hour. Well, now the Father has declared the hour has come. The hour long awaited. The hour long anticipated. The hour has come. Why? Like, what set off the alarm clock? What, what happened such that now... At this precise moment, the hour has come. Well, it tells us. The hour has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So let's be careful what we're saying here. The text does not tell us when the hour is coming. Okay? The text doesn't tell us this. We don't know when the hour is coming. It does tell us what will precipitate the hour coming. And that is, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is fully ready. What does this mean? It means that the Father's waiting for the crop to grow. He's waiting for all the grain to reach maturity. So all His people are, are His. To so all His elect are finally saved. Before the foundation of the world, God, in love, elected unto salvation his people. Amen. He is working that out over time, person by person. But right now, as I'm talking to you, right now, there are some who will be saved who are not yet saved. There are some who will be rescued out of darkness who have not yet been rescued out of darkness. There are some who will be redeemed who have not yet experienced that redemption in their own life. The harvest is not fully ripe. You know how I know? Jesus hasn't come. Yeah. 
The harvest is not fully ripe yet. But even now, we have missionaries in Southeast Asia. Even now, we're helping plant a church in Southern Africa. Even now, we're partnering with Sovereign Grace to see the gospel spread church by church, state by state throughout the United States and by the kindness of the Lord to participate in the gospel going forward in many different nations all over the world. Even now, the gospel advances. While I talk, the gospel advances. While I talk, the harvest is maturing. Right now. Do you realize that right now, the Father holds back eternity? Stop it. Holding back that day. The Son, as we see Him, is already seated on His judgment throne. Already in His hand is the sickle. And it is already sharpened. He is ready to act. And even now, as people cry out from all over the world, suffering, how long, O oh Lord? Persecuted, how long, O oh Lord? And the martyrs, if you recall, crying out from beneath the altar, how long, O oh Lord, will you let this continue? And the Father waits, and eternity is put on hold. And the suffering church will suffer a little longer because he will not allow one grain of his harvest to fail, to not reach maturity. And so the angels that will bring the message from the throne room wait, standing by, waiting for the word. The Son of God himself, with sickle in hand, waits. The eagerness that he has to bring the kingdom Long prayed for, Father, let your kingdom come. The eagerness to rescue his people, long suffering. The eagerness to right all wrongs, long overlooked. Matched by the eagerness to see every one of his people saved. Amen. Just not, harvest isn't ready yet. Not quite yet. You see that when we, church, are engaged in mission, we send a missionary team to Bolivia to share Christ with little kids or send people to Asia and Africa or send our dollars and our prayers and our tears along with them. We are engaging in the great mission of world history. This is what God is about. And listen, I undersell it when I say it that way. Okay, this isn't just the greatest mission in history. What we see in this text is this is the reason history continues. That's a mission right there. The history continues because God holds back eternity until the mission is complete. That's the mission that we get to be a part of. History hasn't stopped because the mission's not done. I've noticed a style trend. I notice a lot of style trends. My teen daughter on the front row knows just how stylish her dad is. Um, it seems like wristwatches are making a comeback. Now, 
I'm probably about five years late on noticing this style trend, but I noticed, okay? So when I was a kid, everybody wore a watch. And it was like kind of cool to wear a watch, especially like in third grade, and if your watch had a calculator, let me tell you what. <laughs> the definition of cool, right? Seems like, you know, and then the, of course sm smartphones came and basically killed the wristwatch. But they've been making a, a comeback. And now, of course, they're all teched out now, right? Like you can, you, you track your steps and your run. You, you, you can take phone calls. You can check your texts. You can check the weather. You can do all kinds of things. I think you can even tell time on these <laughs> new wristwatches. People get it. One, two, three. Four, five, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour. What kind of wristwatch does God wear? How does he track time so that he knows when the hour has come? His, his watch isn't in seconds. It's in souls. One, two, three, four, five. Soul by soul, person by person, redeemed by redeemed, rescued by rescued. Tick, tick, tick. Church, that mission is why we're here. Do you know that? Listen, do you want a boring life? a life with little impact and little reward then live for yourself think little of the lost don't give too much don't sacrifice too much don't pray too much don't live generously don't live dangerously prioritize your safety and if you can, your comfort. Get a good job. Then a nice home for retirement. Watch a little football. And you will miss why you're here. Amen. And your story will just be your story. And you will have failed to connect it to the story. And his great story. Christian. This is why we're here. Amen. This is why history endures. That the name of Christ could be made known. So let's be laboring in his fields. Because we can look and we can see the day that that sickle sweeps is coming. And only the Father knows when. So let us labor until that day together. So the Son of Man will sweep his sickle and the earth will be reaped. But there are two harvests that we're going to talk about in this passage. The wheat now has been harvested. God's people have been gathered into his barns, into his presence, into his care. Now there is the second harvest. Let's read of it again together. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven. And he too had a sharp sickle. 
And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city. The blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. There are many parallels between these two paragraphs. Many things are the same. There are two reapers. There are two sharp sickles. There are two angels coming out of the temple to bear word to the two that hold the sickles. And then there are, of course, two harvests. But these parallels only serve to highlight the differences between these two paragraphs. The first is that the reaper in this paragraph is no longer the Son of Man. The reaper in paragraph two is an angel ready to execute the Father's will and harvest the wicked unto judgment. Notice, when it comes to the wicked, an angel serves as reaper. And now that we've seen that, friends, notice that when it came to the righteous, the Son of Man himself will gather his people. Glory to God. The second harvest is not of grain. It is pictured as grapes. And where the grain is harvested, and there's only one action really talked about, the grain is simply harvested, gathered in. There is more than one action for the grapes. They are first harvested, then they are thrown into the wine press, and then they are trodden. The wine press we're introduced to is the wine press of the wrath of God. And herein is the great chasm, the great difference between these two harvests. One, the wheat, God's people, is harvested unto safety, unto joy, unto life. The second harvest is unto destruction, unto judgment, and unto death. And this isn't the first time in our Bible that grapes are used to talk about the harvest at the end of time for the wicked. Joel chapter 3 says this. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Go in and tread. For the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. The picture is of a wine press being tread, that is being trod upon. And, and why? Why is this wine press being tread? Because their evil is great. There is great punishment because there is great evil. I wonder if you've seen a wine press. Everybody in John's day had seen a wine press. If you've seen one, it's like in a movie. 
right? So a wine press is a kind of, I don't know, large bathtub type thing, right? Made of wood or stone, slightly sloped floor. They'll take baskets full of grapes and dump them into the wine press. And then as the, the juice comes out, it can kind of flow down that slope, usually into a barrel or something that collects the grape juice, right? And this, is, this was a wonderful day. Like when the town got together to do this, this was a day of celebration. Like they'd worked all year long on these grapes and harvest days here. And so you could see the men carrying these baskets, just loaded with grapes, and they're dumping them in. And then the ladies are getting in typically, right? And they're, they're stepping in and they're like holding their skirts up a little bit and they all begin to tread the, the grapes and to, to press out the juice from, from the grapes. And there's probably some singing, right? We're like, why wouldn't you? Your feet are already moving, right? <laughs> right? There's probably some singing. They bet they got their arms around each other and they just, why not? You just turned it into a little dance. Like, I would imagine some of the little kids want to get in there and, and you know, dance with mom and whatever. So like, this was a great day of celebration. They're setting up, setting up wine for the year ahead. Joy and laughter and celebration. Not so this day. Not so this one. This is a different vintage. The imagery of the wine press is one of joy. And it is turned to sorrow. From happiness to horror. Verse 20. The winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress. As high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadium. Suddenly the grape juice is blood. And it flows deep and wide. It's the judgment of God is meted out on his enemies. When God steps into his wine press, who can stand? Who can contend with the Almighty? Who can who could slow him down or stay his hand or resist his judgment. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Despair. <coughs> this is in our Bibles so that we know this day is coming. This is in our Bibles so that we will not be surprised on that day. Here's the reality. Even now, the angel who will deliver the message stands before the throne at his post. Even now, the angel who will do the harvesting stands ready to receive the word. The sickle is already sharp. And the grim instrument already in his hand. When the word comes, he will not need to prepare, for he's already ready. He will simply obey the command of God. This angel who harvests 
all the earth waits only for the word from the throne. I may speak to you for a moment if you have not turned to the Lord. He waits only for the word from God, the God whom you despise. The God whom you sin against. The God whom you spurn over and over. You rebel against the one who holds your faith. You rebel against the one who will tread in his winepress. Will you truly spurn his offer of mercy? I'll even say his plea to extend to you mercy. And here's the, here's the reality. You shut your ears to his pleas for your mercy. He will shut his ears to yours. And this day is coming. What a fearful day. What? Turn for fear, would you? Many a person has been saved from hell for fear of hell. That is a great reason not to go there. Hell is to be feared. I think the winepress of God's wrath is here to lull us to sleep. Is this nursery rhyme? This is here to compel us to action. That we would fear the Lord and avoid such a day as this. So friend, if you have yet to fear the Lord, fear him today. Confess your sins and turn to him. For he is a God of mercy. In church... Let us speak to each other of such things. You've heard the phrase, I don't doubt it, uh, hellfire and brimstone. You know, churches shouldn't be all hellfire and brimstone. Maybe there was a time when churches were too hellfire and brimstone. Maybe there was a time when the love of God was not discussed and it was just his wrath. And that was the only thing discussed. If that time exists, existed, I didn't live through it. And if that time existed, friend, it is not today. There's a problem in the American church. It is not that we talk too much about wrath. That's not the problem. The problem is not that we talk too much hellfire and too much brimstone. If there's a problem in the church today, it's that we avoid passages like this and refuse to speak about such things as this. And we got uncomfortable with things like this, so we shut our Bibles and go back to happier thoughts. That's the problem with the church today. Amen. But the enemy would make us timid. Would say, no, no, no. No, no, you know. You can talk too much about that. So you probably shouldn't talk anymore about that. If you're wondering, my aim today is to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And let our aim be to be hellfire and brimstone proclaimers. Friends, we need to speak of this with each other. Why? So that we don't grow dull. That's why. 
as though this world is all that there is, as though we don't have the greatest hope of all time because we all get lulled to sleep in our affluent world. We all get sucked down in to the football game that's going to happen this afternoon. We, we all get sucked down and this should bring zeal to the believer. So let us speak of such things to one another. And then, friends, let us speak of such things to the lost. For who needs to hear of this except the lost most of all? And in so doing, we then participate in the ripening of the harvest of wheat. And we rescue souls from the winepress of wrath into the arms of the Savior. Let us speak of such things. So we need to reflect, not bounce away from, but reflect on such things, and I would say specifically, as it's called, the great winepress of the wrath of God. I do believe this keeps us from growing dull, keeps an edge on the Christian and an edge that should be there, an edge of zeal. I believe it gives a very different flavor to evangelism when people know what they're being saved from when we proclaim Jesus. But friends, the other reason that we gather around this wine press, it might sound odd at first, is for worship. <laughs> Worship at the wine press. Yes. Do you, can you visualize it in your mind? My mind rebels against trying to visualize the wine press of the wrath of God. Here's what it says in verse 20. The wine press was trodden outside the city. Outside the city, where the wicked are destroyed. Outside the city, away from what is holy. Outside the city, outside the community of God's people. That's where this is set up. You see that? Do you see the wine press set up outside the gates? The city. Now recall with me, there was another who suffered outside the gates. There was another who was taken to the place where the wicked are killed. He was taken to the place where holy things don't belong. Kept away from the people of God. There was another who went to this wine press. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. <coughs> Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Friends, blood has flowed out of this wine press once before. Wine press of wrath has been used for terrible, wonderful purpose once before. 
Jesus was taken to it. Being nailed upon the cross was thrown into the wine press and was tread. And his own blood flowed. And it flowed to sanctify you. Flowed to sanctify you. To flow to make his people whole. Church, we come here to worship because here our Savior was crushed. That's right. For us. Outside the gate, outside the city. You may have you may have heard it said, you know, Jesus died for your sin. This is a little more vivid. As it should be. You might have heard Jesus is your substitute. Amen, he is. But now, see him reach in to that wine press and give you a handout and himself climb in. He's our substitute there. He is our substitute right there. Right here. Because there should have only been one harvest. By the grace of God, there will be two. One made pure by the blood of the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the substitute. Glory to the Savior. As the hymn says, he took my sin and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died on How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous. How wonderful is my Savior's love. So, so we're going to stand and sing to the one who took the penalty from us, to our Savior. So let's stand together. Worship team, come on up. Jesus, I simply pray. would give us a deeper appreciation for what you've done that we may worship you more deeply, more rightly more nearly in the way that you truly deserve in your name